In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. It's such a beautiful thing to see you all here this morning. Well, the word of the week for me this week has been downsizing. It seems that everyone I run into this week has had a story to tell me about downsizing, selling the family home and moving into an apartment or a condo, or letting go of the apartment, moving into an assisted living facility, or some variation on that theme. And so naturally the conversations have turned to that all too familiar complaint, lamentation, realization, the astonishment that we feel when we come to terms with all of the stuff that we've collected over the years. We Americans, of course, are stunningly good at accumulating things. According to an article published in the LA Times, the average American household contains 300,000 separate items. That's a lot of stuff. And so it seems timely that this morning that we would hear the story of the ultimate exercise in downsizing as Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the gospel, taking nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, no extra clothes. And it does make you wonder, why was Jesus so insistent on this point? Why was he so extreme? You know, not even a belt, not even a bag, not a change of underwear, no toothbrush. Forget about it. Why do you suppose Jesus insisted on this? What was the point of this exercise? Well, of course, this idea was not original to Jesus. Jesus was initiating his disciples into an ancient, ancient practice that is found throughout the world. In the ancient Near East, it's the practice of the desert hermits and the mendicant preachers. In India, it's the sadhu and the sannyasins. In Aboriginal Australia, it's the walkabouts. In North America, it's the vision quests. How do we account for these traditions across so many cultures preceding Christ by at least 1,500 years? These traditions of men and women renouncing all material possessions, setting out on the road completely dependent on God and nature and the generosity of others. Why would anyone do this? What kind of craziness calls this wisdom? Well, one of my favorite Christian writers, Frederick Buechner, gave an interview back in 2002, maybe provides a clue to this question. The interviewer asked him, do you ever get invited to speak to church groups? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, well, okay, so what do, you, what do you say to them? He says, I say the best thing that could happen to your church is, it for, is for it to burn down and for all of your fax and email machines to be burned up and for the minister to be run over by a truck <laughs> so that you have nothing left except each other and God. 
The interviewer was sort of taken aback. He said, how do the ministers respond to that? <laughs> and Beekner said, I think they all know damn well what I'm talking about. <laughs> now take it from me, I would never, ever want our beautiful church to burn down. And I really have no desire whatsoever to be run over by a truck. But there are days when I would happily light a match underneath the email machines that he talks about. <laughs> this was in 2002, so. Well, did we call them email machines back then? <laughs> but I think Beekner is right. Those of us who are pastors do know exactly what he was talking about because we've seen firsthand the ways in which our attachments only get in the way of our relationship to God. When a church becomes more concerned about keeping a roof over its head than preaching the gospel, maybe it's time to lose the roof. And what's true for the church is true for us as individuals, of course. When our lives become consumed with maintaining everything that we own and with acquiring everything that we think we need or want, we set ourselves on a collision course with reality itself. Because if there's one, if there's one thing a pastor knows intimately, it is that life has a habit of stripping us of everything we have ever owned and everything we ever thought we needed until in the end we are stripped bare and there is truly nothing between us and God. This is one of the great lessons that each and every one of us will learn sooner or later. With each passing mile along life's journey, we let go of yet another thing we once thought we could never live without. Our supple bodies and our youthful beauty, our impressive careers, our status among important people, our hearing, our vision, our ability to drive, our spouses, our memories, finally, our very breath. In the end, whether we like it or not, Life makes yogis and sadhus of us all. There's no avoiding it. In the end, we all will become experts at letting go. The question is this, will we learn this lesson kicking and screaming and resisting? Or will we learn what Jesus and every great spiritual master has been trying to teach us? Will this process of letting go open us up or shut us down? Will it make us bitter or more generous? Will we fight it every inch of the way or will we learn to find freedom and authentic joy in this life come what may? The world's great spiritual masters have gone to great lengths to teach us this lesson. In our own tradition, we have this wonderful story about St. Francis who was walking with his friend Brother Leo for miles through a cold, rainy winter evening. They were on their way to a convent some miles away when, Jesus, when, sorry, when Francis said, Brother Leo, do you know what the greatest joy of this life is? It is this, 
that when we arrive at the convent, all drenched with rain and trembling with cold, all covered with mud and exhausted from hunger, if when we knock at the convent gate, the porter comes angrily at us and asks us who we are, and if after we have told him we are two of the brethren, he should refuse to open to us, and leave us outside, exposed to the snow and rain, suffering from cold and hunger till nightfall, then, if we accept such injustice, such cruelty, and such contempt with patience, without being ruffled, and without murmuring, write down, Brother Leo, write this down, that this is perfect joy. Now, I wouldn't blame Brother Leo for thinking that his friend Francis had just gone right off the deep end. And I gave you the abbreviated version. Francis goes on and on about, and if that porter is to actually beat us with his stick until we're covered with bruises, he just goes on and on about how terrible it can be. So, but the truth is that what Brother Leo saw before him was a man living in perfect freedom. Freedom to love reality regardless of what he wanted or desired or thought he deserved. Because the truth is, reality, you know what? Reality doesn't care about our opinion of it. Reality is not holding its breath, breath waiting for our approval. The truth is that we live in radical dependency on God every moment of our lives, and our possessions and our attachments and our desires, our ideas and thoughts and opinions only serve to insulate us from this fact. Between us and God, there is an infinite power differential, and no matter how many times we try to pretend otherwise, reality always wins. So we might do well to learn how to make our peace with it. It's up to us to decide what to do with this radical dependency on God. Do we want to learn how to love this world on its own terms, or will we withhold our love and live in bitterness and anger and self-pity because reality has failed to conform to our expectations? According to Jesus and St. Francis and just about every other genuine yogi and spiritual master, there is great joy on the other side of this life lesson. My Italian friend tells me that the word for this is letizia, which is the deep joy and contentment that we find when we're at peace with the world as it is, rather than constantly insisting that the world live up to our particular expectations. This, I believe, is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples by sending them out on this journey, stripped of all possessions, stripped of any capacity to impose their own preferences on reality. You know, as the old saying goes, beggars can't be choosers. Jesus was saying, how about we try giving up our choosing how about we try letting go of our opinions about what the world owes us and try meeting the world on its own terms? Ultimately, we will discover that when there's nothing left between us and God, 
as harsh and painful as that stripping away can be, ultimately we discover that as we release our will to God's will and learn to find our refuge in the emptiness that opens to the presence of God, there we find a pathway into our deepest joy. Of course, this journey leads to disappointment and rejection. Eventually, we will all knock on a door that will not be open to us. And when that happens, Jesus says, shake the dust off of your feet. Don't let even the dust of disappointment cling to you. Let it go. Move on. We can do this because we know that this is true, that our God is infinitely larger than our tiny preferences and opinions. On the other side of our disappointment, there is the ground of being, which is nothing but love. When nothing remains between us and God, we find, in fact, that there is everything, the fullness of God. The old biblical word used is the pleroma, the superabundant presence of God, the ever-flowing stream, the thrilling current of God's love that runs through us to the very ground and abyss of being itself. And it is there, in that emptiness, open to the presence of God, that we find this power that Paul talks about this power that Jesus talks about, this power to cast out demons, to forgive our enemies, to heal the sick, to end our lives in absolute and perfect peace. May we all find that peace before we draw our final breath so that we can share that peace and that joy with those around us. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you.